0: Hey, hey, welcome back in to Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and this is episode one of our fourth season, which is hard to believe. But here we are, and of course, as always, I am here with my best friend and co-host Skinny, who I'm guessing is still waiting on an email response from the former Senator Al Franken can you say hello to the people my friend
1: i can't believe i should have never cc'd you that's just absolutely fucking ridiculous <laughs> listen i'm trying to make the show better and i'm trying to reach out to people that are fans and now okay all right well let's just remember something hey <laughs> uh-huh. i'll tell you later that's fine okay what what do you want to that, say
0: but hey that that specific reference will make sense a little bit later on in the show. It's not completely devoid of. I'm not. I'm not busting your balls there, but I know where that particular idea originated from because I saw the exact same video you did. So, I thought it would be a. Uh... A funny thing to mention considering what we're going to be talking about on today's episode.
1: Okay, let me end that conversation with this. Like, I was like (laughs) six or seven years old when I was watching, and he was writing for them, and that's why I wanted to have him on. So I don't know what video you're talking about, but anyway, go ahead. All
0: right. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, buddy, it's good to see you, man. I'm so happy that we are back for season four Season three was awesome. We talked about a lot of great music. We had some really cool guests on. The NFL has started. So if you are a football fan and also listen to our style of music, go check out our first episode from season three. We had Jake Jollivet on, who is the Fox Sports producer who likes to drop in Fish and Grateful Dead and other related music. Man, we're starting off skinny with a really cool guest and an awesome show to talk about today. So let's get right to it. Chances are pretty good you know who this guy is. He is pretty well-known around our scene and on social media channels. He is one of the friendliest faces that you will see at a show. He is the CEO of Osiris Media. It is our pleasure to welcome to Stummy Down, RJB. RJ, man thanks for being with us. We really appreciate the time. I know you're uh,
2: a busy guy. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for letting me kick off the season with you guys.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great, man. I'm so excited that you're here. And we always say this, and I'm going to just say it off the top. Like We have a lot of gratitude for people that come on our show because it used to just be Josh and I, and sometimes I get bored. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just kidding around. Actually, I'm not really, but listen, We're really happy to have you on, and and (laughs) today's just going to be great. Again, I I feel like when we talk about podcasting, we just got into this entire venue, I guess, of entertainment, if some people call it that, because I still ask people about podcasts like, are you entertained by this? Like, what we're doing here? So I'm not going to ask all my questions yet because I want Josh to fuck
0: them up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think. RJ, one of the things that especially people like us have a lot of respect for is you've taken something that was a passion, your love of music, and you turned it into a career, right? You turned it into a business that has grown Pretty significantly in the last few years. And that's just me watching as you know somebody on the outside. And maybe it has turned into a little bit more work for you over the years. They say if you love what you do, you never work in a day, which is fucking bullshit, right? Work is work. Like, (laughs) you know, if you've got to meet a payroll or you know, deal with tough situations, like that's still work, right? The theme of your work and the focus of it is rooted in this love of music that. You have. So really, can you just start off talking a little bit about how you made that shift from a lifelong passion and love to a a career? And we're, you know, we're not necessarily talking about like, you know, where'd you go to college and this and that? How did you turn your love of music into this business venture that is well known, well respected, and very much appreciated in our corner of the music world?
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I started doing the Helping Friendly podcast in 2013 with a buddy, and then we brought some more friends in. And I mean, it was just like, it was just a hobby. And we did it at night. And, you know, in 2016, I got introduced to Tom by our friend Craig Hillwig, who's a great friend, and he knew that Tom was going to start his podcast. So he introduced me and then Tom and I pretty much immediately started talking about like, what would it be like if we brought a bunch of music podcast together. And Tom is, a you know, he's been involved in a bunch of startups. And now that I look back on it, I've like tried to start a bunch of things over the years. And so I guess maybe the, like I've been trying to. Um, but yeah, we just we started looking at it. And um, I remember it was like mid 2016 and my wife was pregnant with our twins who are now about to be six and uh a couple friends were like there's no way you're gonna do this like there's no way you're gonna like you you're gonna be too busy there's no way you can like start a company and then i did anyway maybe out of like trying to out of spite (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean it's it's crazy because when we started we had no idea like we went through a bunch of iterations we were gonna like start by offering like an education program for podcasters like how to start a podcast and then we went through like a bunch of iterations before we kind of launched in early 2018 yeah it's been wild man i mean five almost five years in so it's it's been a roller coaster for sure like 2018 and 2019 we did a couple crowdfunding campaigns where people Invested in Osiris and got got equity in the company, so it wasn't like donating to the cause. It was like buying a stake in Osiris for small amounts of money, and we were able to raise a bunch of money. So that's how we like we hired some people. And I would run a business before, so I kind of like I knew how to hire people and create budgets and you know do that stuff. But in terms of getting into the me- the media industry or the podcast industry, I had no idea. I Still don't. I mean, it changes like every like every month. It's different, you know. Even like Spotify and Apple like don't really know what they're doing with it. They just have a lot more money. So, you know, they can experiment with shit. And if it doesn't work, they just move on to the next thing. You know, for us, it's higher stakes. And it's just
1: out there. You know
2: what I mean? It's not out there with a purpose, which yeah. is, that was what I was going to say. It was like, it's
1: a new language, right? Audiobooks, podcasting, you know, all that's a new language. Like, what do you do with it? Like, who? Yeah. who's interested? How do you find that interest? And I agree with you. Like, I don't think bigger corporations sometimes are looking at you know, that kind of nuanced, I don't know, we say intelligentsia, but I'm not that smart. But like, <laughs> how are people really consuming that language? You know, I guess that's that's my question. I knew that you were business oriented.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's probably being a little that's probably embellishing in a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm like a real business person. I'm just
1: I mean, I'm not really an English person either. Yeah.
2: I mean, we're all we're all like just trying to we're try, well, we're all pretending we're something like we're real podcasters. I don't know. I think like we started the HF pod and we we had no idea what we were doing, you know. We had never edited a podcast before Brad who I started it with. We didn't know what we were doing. And we 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 would talk for 5 minutes and then we would play a full set of fish. That was like the first hundred episodes or so where like, they were like three or four hours long and like people liked them. And then we kind of changed the format. I mean, I would, it would be nice to say that we had like a, a big plan, you know, but we were just, we were really like listening. I mean, I guess that's a big thing for me is like listening to our audience and making sure that when people give us feedback, like sometimes it's annoying to get feedback like, we don't like this new direction or, or, you know, you get comments or emails that are like, Hey, I liked it better when you guys did X, Y, and Z, you know, and it's like annoying, but then you got to really like take it into consideration. So to me, it's like all about just like listening to the audience, you know? Right. I feel like that's been our, our main goal. I think it's
0: amazing that you basically started with HF pod and now you've got, what, 50? I think I counted 51 shows on the Osiris homepage. And I know that some of them are, you know, like kind of one-off series like After Midnight and Alive Again that kind of tell one story and then that's it. But man, those stories are fucking awesome.
2: Yeah, thanks.
0: With the way the people were there is mixed in and the interviews of Trey's bandmates and Tab and, and all of that stuff. And the way those two stories in particular came together that's going to draw people in, right? And then, and it's finite, and you don't feel yeah. obligated, you know, after that, right? Because after you listen to the last episode, like, okay, well, now I find something else to listen to. Then you have now added this fictional component, you know, basically, you wrote like a book <laughs> with Sugar Maple and original music to go along with it. Yeah, that was crazy. So, I mean, you you started talking about your reaction to somebody else's music, and now you're essentially creating music to support a fictional story. That's pretty wild stuff. And the way it's being consumed, too, I mean, everybody loves this stuff, man. And there's such a wide variety, yeah. right? You, you know, if you're a Grateful Dead, there's plenty of dead. Fish. Plenty of everything, Yeah maybe not as much goose, <laughs> but that's new, right? But that's new. I, I, that's one of the things that I think, you know, when you started out, were, was that what your intention was, or you just didn't know? Like, did you think maybe we would eventually be able to create original content like that? Or did you just have some stories you wanted to get out or, or what?
2: When we were raising money and we were telling the story, I mean, what we originally focused on was we're going to, we're going to get some famous musicians to do podcasts. You know, that was kind of like, That was probably the biggest goal was to get, get, you know, big name people to do podcasts and to tell, tell these kind of original stories. I didn't have any idea that we would end up doing a fiction podcast that came much later, but it's, it's just interesting the way that you guys see it and I appreciate it. I mean, it is something that people love and, and, you know, consume. Anytime I go to a show, like it's not even fish, Pearl Jam. I mean, King Gizzard, like people come up to me and like say, thanks, you know, and that's, That's huge because if you're, I don't know, if you're on the inside of any business, unless you're like Apple or Microsoft, I mean, it's like, it seems like most of the things you're trying to do are not working. Like that's like, that's the reality of running a startup (laughs) because most stuff doesn't work, you know, and then like certain things do and it's great. I mean, we've we've made some big bets and tried a lot of experiments, you know, and just to, to try to see what will work. I think the jam band stuff and the, and the kind of like this community that we've created is really hard to replicate. Like we've also thought about like, could we create like a hip hop vertical, you know, or like, wow, that's
1: very interesting.
2: But you'd have to get, we'd have to either acquire a company or like, we can't do that.
1: You, you still have like big names, bad boy records or whatever out in the wind that would compete against the competition. I was yeah. telling Josh yeah. about that. I was like. You know, the competition against competition and even podcasts, like competing against competing. And, you know, we decided three years ago, we're not doing anything other than competing against ourselves to get better at this. When Tom had under the scales, I was a pretty big fan of that. I liked how there were people that were, you know, getting recognized for the small things that they do and they weren't small within that niche community all these other podcasts, then I was like, I actually listen to podcasts. Josh doesn't <laughs> I, said, I
0: listen to some. Stuff. I don't think he, <laughs> I don't even think
1: he listens to ours. <laughs> I started thinking to myself, well, what a niche that is to, to create fiction, to create stories with music, because listen, I'm a big fan of star Wars and, and popular movies from the seventies, eighties and nineties. And what's the biggest thing that those movies do is create soundtracks that i used to buy on cassette and like listen to like the cassette like top gun (laughs) like you know before that animal house was a huge cassette that i i played all the time and i think the best part about what you do rj is like getting into that kind of niche which is it's a comfortable one for a lot of us olds
0: Well, I think one of the other things, RJ, you know, you mentioned the idea of community, right? And I feel like we're a community when we're at shows, right? And then when tour is over, you know, you're kind of splintered and returned to your corner of the country or wherever and you wait until the next tour and then everybody gets together and we have that community again. But through social media and I feel like through podcasting and through some of these stories that are being told, the community has really coalesced around each other you know in certain respects and like yeah. i mean think about the people that we've met because we logged on the twitter as a podcast and started talking to people that were on fish twitter and you know now we have some great friends and that piece i think you know osiris is uh, is shining light in the middle there that brings a lot of people in and I, I think about like the different times I've seen you guys set up at shows, whether it was you there personally or just the Osiris tent and somebody was hanging out or you guys had an event at a show and, you know, everybody went and checked it out and, and we were kind of getting a peek behind the curtain of the community, if you will. You know, we weren't just being, you know, 30 hippies scouring the lot for whatever. And I think that that also kind of comes with the fact that we've grown up a little bit in the community. You have. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> This networking, you know, this is, it's like actual networking, you know, like it's legitimate networking, but with music as the focus. And it really has moved that community from beyond just tour to all the time.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And thanks. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like the community is a an ever-present thing and evolving and, you know, it's great to to be a part of it, for sure. The business part of it is is hard and challenging, but the community aspect is like what we're, you know, we have a brand and we have a community. that's really aside from all the content, like I think that's what that's what people see us as. I mean, what stands out to you, you know, about podcasts
1: in general besides the business part, besides the community part, like in your ear, what do you want to hear people do? And I'm not I'm not
2: trying to say, like, do you like us? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it sounds cliche, but, like, so my last career before this was I ran a communications company. So, like, I basically taught nonprofits and foundations how to tell better stories. Like, that was my job. And a bunch of stuff, you know, making the business work. But, like, I think it's stories are just they're really... Easy to spot, but they're not that easy to do. I think it's just all about good stories. And that we learned early on with HF Pod, even back in the day before we knew what we were really doing, that like bringing on a guest who got to tell their fish story was like really powerful. And people liked hearing from other people that you wouldn't hear any other place because podcasts weren't really a thing. It's like fish.net message board or fantasy tour or in person were the ways that you like heard people's stories. So I feel like we we gave a little bit of a, an outlet to that. But to me, it's all about stories. I mean, I listen to hundreds of podcasts a year and I, they're all, you know, there's true crime and, and, you know, entrepreneurship and music and media podcast. Like it's all to me, it's all about like good stories, you know, and, and that's like kind of a cliche. But like we went through this period where like it was all about the audio quality and production value. And I feel like that's kind of like gone away. Like we're kind of like coming full circle to like people just want to hear good conversations. Like we went through this scripted, highly produced period yeah and now like most podcast companies at least are just focused on like conversations i mean there's a lot of fiction and other stuff out there but i think um i feel like we've like kind of come full circle in like five years which is sort of crazy to think about
1: when we started it you know we had tension about it you know of course we're, we're human beings and like we were we were unsure at times whether we we're going to keep going or whatever, but then we just decided, you know, whatever, you know, we're just going to keep doing it. And then we got better at it. And yeah, I think that's yeah. part of it too, is that we dealt our hand with experience and we're just going to keep telling those experiences, whether or not anybody's listening. <laughs> we always say, that. I was like, Oh, we have a small yeah. listenership.
2: <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, that's another thing that I think is pretty like over rated I mean you know that that's our business is the numbers but it's really about quality over quantity and i think there are there are sponsors too and advertisers who see that and who know that they're reaching music fans who are super engaged and that's more important than like how many downloads you know there that's obviously part of the conversation but to me that just i don't know i also think there's we we did a survey recently we do a survey every every year people say the kind of like intimacy and the authenticity is really like what People are looking for in, in a podcast or in an Osiris podcast, anyway, and that's like you can't really make that up, you know. And that's why I was saying earlier about like different genres and different communities. Like you can't just create that from scratch. Like it has to exist organically, or else it just wouldn't work.
1: Otherwise, like there wouldn't be. I feel like so many right now, and when I say so many, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that yeah, completely positive way. I'm listening to more than I ever did. And I'm like embracing the new genre and I also do it.
0: RJ, do you have a different ear when listening to new music or like I know in Atlantic City, Eggy played a bunch of shows. And so when you go to a show like that, even just hear like dude with guitar, you know, at your at your corner spot on a Thursday, do you have a different ear as a music fan and I love music compared to I'm the CEO of a
2: music-focused media company? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think probably, I think I've just listened to like a lot more music in the past 10 years than I had before that. I pushed myself to listen to a wider variety of music, just because like you guys know, I mean, I spend a lot of time listening to fish and a lot of time listening to... (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> you have to like have opinions on it. And I take notes and listen to it. Like sure, you do. Yeah. And you have to have something to say.
0: And you have to be well-versed, right? Yeah. For somebody in your position, there's some statistics that you have to know. You have to be able to pull out this version or know if somebody references, you know, a show in 97. Like there's a, it's a wealth of knowledge to be, partway competent to talk about i still don't and i you know i've been seeing fish for a long time
2: well yeah i mean and part of that is just like you just force yourself to like take an angle you know like whether it's the venues or the set list like they're, they're you got to find something because if you're like yeah this was great and it was fun to listen to that's not really like there. that's like the story thing you got to have a hook you know and it's sometimes it's the stats that like lead to bigger conversations But yeah, I mean, part of it is also like I get invited to shows, you know, now and I never expected to be on the guest list or like publicists will reach out and be like, hey, this band's coming to town. Do you want to go check them out? So that sort of like forces you to have a a different ear because then because I want to make sure that I have something to say after, especially to the person who invited me, you know, so it's not like a lot of shows I go and I just hang out and drink beer with my friends, you know, but like, I mean, I go to a lot of shows for like a person, my age, I think it's, it's crazy, but I do try to like, I mean, it's kind of like what I was thinking about goose today, as we're talking about this, like to me, songwriting is so important and so like hard to nail down in a band these days. Like I, I really like look for songs, you know? I mean, I think seeing people improvise and seeing people jam is like, is great. And I like, I'll, I'll I'll always love that for sure but seeing like a band with a well-crafted song with a hook and you're like wow this is like a song that I'll remember to me that's like that's what kind of what I'm always looking for
1: yeah or a band that can cover something that you haven't heard cover and you're like god that's magnificent yeah you know what I mean like that's absolutely magnificent and Do we need to do any more of this intro shit with RJ? (laughs) He said already before that he's been on
2: like a thousand
1: podcasts.
2: (laughs) No, no, but I appreciate you guys asking all this stuff. It's fun. I mean, I appreciate it. The honest truth is Osiris like day to day is really stressful and really overwhelming and nothing at all goes the way you think it will. I mean, that's like kind of how life is And, and probably how most jobs are, but it's it's good to talk about the the positive sides because most of the time I'm just trying to figure out solutions for the problems. So like, you know, <laughs> talking about the the upside and what we're, you know, what you guys, what your observations are, is is cool to hear. So I appreciate it.
1: And that's awesome. And thank you too. We met in person a couple of times, like I, I think at Dick's. And then when we finally like hung out and kind of had a conversation was uh, this past year at the april run at msg and what was the name of that bar that we were at
2: that was the uh the moynihan train hall bar which by
1: the way i'll plug the moynihan train hall bar
2: it's pretty awesome yeah, for, for a dude. pre-show thing i think it's pretty great i hope i hope to go back there
1: yeah i was like i thought i was going to tracks yeah. Yeah. So i was like <laughs> we'll just yeah. meet him at tracks. It's the same thing. No, it's nice.
2: It was better than the TGI Fridays in the basement of Penn Station. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know that TGI yeah. Fridays. I try to get that thing to open at like ten o'clock on
2: the dot. Horrible place. Yeah.
0: Well, Skinny, just remember, if podcasting doesn't work out. Maybe we can uh, be truckers. You still got the you still got the name of that <laughs> trucking company.
1: <laughs> I do. I would say that to my students all the time. I'm like, listen, on the open road you know, come back when everything's good.
0: <laughs> if you are new to Stummy Me Down, welcome in. Thanks for checking us out. The premise of the show is that Skinny and I over the years have been to a lot of concerts together separately. And what we do is we pull one of those ticket stubs at random and we use that show as a jumping off point to talk about our friendship, talk about obviously the music, the funny things that happen along the way. So, today RJ is going to be pulling the stub for us. So, are really excited for that. Skinny, got anything else before we get to uh, RJ's show today, man? No, absolutely not. I'm really excited. (laughs) No. (laughs) Sweet. All right. RJB, Osiris Media, you ready to stub me and Skinny down today, bud? Yeah, man, for sure.
2: All right, buddy, tell us what you got. We had talked about this a bunch, and, you know, I've talked about so many fish shows, and, and I can talk about more. I mean, I, I have to talk about more starting tomorrow, because we're just in the middle of this season of Undermine, 46 episodes. So. But I had a, I had a really amazing, life-changing experience this past summer, um, seeing Goose in, at Radio City when, when Trey came out. But you know there's there's a lot of context that I'd like to share for people who aren't super familiar with the band and also just it's it wasn't just about Trey coming out and jamming like that's 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 a cool part of the show but I, there there's so many moments symbolic things that happen in the show and this was probably like my I don't know, 15th Goose show, maybe. Very familiar with the band. And it was just a really special night, I think, for everyone involved, including the band, but uh, but especially the fans.
1: Now, RJ, you you actually... I don't know if Josh told you this. You have to read the date and the venue.
2: Okay. (laughs) I will do that. You might have said that, but I didn't. Okay.
1: We're leaving that in,
2: by the way. June 25th, 2022, at Radio City Music Hall in New York.
1: And I saw... Goose for the first time this summer, the night before my birthday at the Chrysalis in, in Meriwether, and was. I'm not going to say I was blown away, but I was blown away. Nice. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just trying to compare like how I felt when I, I was like, oh, I've listened to them. I got into them because of a show that Josh went to, and I was like, okay, I'll check them out. And they did this "All I Need" arrow for 47 minutes, and I listened to it all summer at the pool.
0: Josh, take it away. Skinny, the show will be light on stats today because I am a goose noob just like you. So I do not know really, even if they have a <laughs> database of music <laughs> statistics yet. RJ, I have the role on Stummy Down of being the statistician. So. You know, when there's a bust out or you know, anything like that. I, I nerd out on the stats and Skinny makes fun of me. But I don't have many stats today. The show that you're referring to, Skinny, was from the 930 Club in March. March, I think it was the third. I thought it was the second, but okay. Maybe it was the second. I think it was the first and the second, and I went to the second night. That was my second goo show. My first goose show was May fourth. 2021 when they played at the Frederick drive-in. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. did two nights, and we caught the second night, thank God, because the first night pissed rain for the entire show. Yeah, same. Oh, you were at that show, aren't you?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. You were at both of those Frederick shows? Just the, the not rainy one.
0: Um, I mean, it was a great show. I had a great time. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. The music was great. I definitely enjoyed it and saw him again at the 930 Club. And so when you said you wanted to talk about Goose, I was like – this is awesome because we're we're fish-centric. We talk a lot, a lot of Grateful Dead. Skinny saw the Grateful Dead from 87 to 95. So we always try to throw out a couple of those. We saw a lot of Phil and Friends in the intervening years when Fish was not touring, both the hiatus and the breakup. And we do a lot of Fish because that's the band we've seen the most, right? So when you said Goose, I was like, awesome. Because there's been this whole phenomenon, yeah, if you want to call it that, of... The new, and Goose is has been anointed at least for this week. Well, actually, maybe not this week. I think King Gizzard is the new anointed one.
1: <laughs> I wish they would extinguish all the torches.
0: All right, keep going. Goose has been anointed by some faceless, nameless people on the internet as the next ones to get the torch from Fish, I guess, who got it from the Grateful Dead. I don't remember Jerry giving it to Trey. I must have missed that. This idea of what makes this band good, what makes them entertaining, what is the hook, right? Is it – have they just – Cracked the jam band formula because a lot of bands have been called the next. String Cheese, Twiddle, Umphreys McGee, Disco Biscuits have all at some point filled that space for however long or short that they were going to be the next big thing in the scene. You know, widespread panic has always kind of operated on the periphery, but they're, you know, a huge jam band, Right what is it about goose have they cracked the formula where it's peaks and builds and extended jams and intricate interplay and quirky lyrics or you know whatever it might be although i don't necessarily i don't know if i would put goose into the kind of quirky lyrics like fish has but what is it about goose that maybe is giving them more staying power than some of these other bands that have been the next ones that are going to fill the zone after after fish is no longer
2: yeah i mean i i do think the the improvisation is is great like there's no question about that i mean to me the there's an example of of this with a friend of mine who whose wife is like we she went to mexico with us to see fish and she didn't she only went to like two of the four fish shows while we were in mexico so she's like you know not a fish person she's like in love with goose Obsessed. She's a smart person who likes music, you know. But to me, like, and I know a lot of people like that. I'm sure you guys do too. That it comes down to two things, I think. I think it's about songwriting, and I think it's about vocals. Like, I just I think that they have the ability to write like a catchy hook, and Rick's voice is just awesome, and and Rick and Peter's vocal harmonies are just amazing.
0: Their harmonies are their harmonies
2: are really good. And Peter's now writing a bunch of songs too that I think are really good. Like I think they're.
0: He was a late
2: addition to the band.
0: Is that correct? I'm still working a little bit on like the band genealogy and stuff, but he was added.
2: Oh, well, welcome uh, to kinda your kinda history class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, um, yeah, he, he joined Goose in I don't know exactly when, but I, I think it was probably 2018, and they had been playing. They had different members before that they had they had some like change ups in the band um and once Peter got added, he also like he has a knack with like marketing and brand development like you know the things that they did at the very end of twenty nineteen early twenty twenty they were they were really like a little bit under the guess like under the radar you know, and then I think they just anything from the branding to the way they do the live streams the multi camera stuff to the You know the editing and the way they get everything up on nugs immediately and the way they handle their social media like peter as far as i know is is really like the driving force behind that so i think once he joined the band i think it not only musically got better but i think they just i think they became like a bigger brand you know and i think he's really like fostered that which is which is not easy to do especially in an environment like now when there's so much stuff you know coming at us at all times
1: to your point you know the vocals and then peter his personality, you know, a lot of people are glomming onto that, you know, which I mean, I am. And then through listening to them, I mean, listen, Rick just played with Phil. Like how many nights was that? Four nights? Did he play with them? Three? I, I, I think
2: three nights. Yeah. It's crazy, right?
1: Yeah. And I just listened to like the Althea and then the cold rain and snow and something else. So I am a huge fan of all of that. And that's where like, to go back to your point, j Dub. You know this torch passing shit. By the way, no one cares. <laughs> nobody gives a shit. Like I am, um, <laughs> I am a big proponent of nobody gives a shit because what they're putting out yeah. to me is exactly what you said: hooks, lyrics. I mean, I could quote some right now. We haven't gotten into the show yet, so I'll I'll wait, everyone.
2: I mean. Even going back to the like their current album Dripfield, which is I think a really very good album and a good listen to the studio version. It's well produced. It's got some great songs and some rearrangements of some songs they've been playing for a while. But their songwriting is it's really catchy, you know. And I think I think that probably rubs some jam band fans the wrong way. Like I think people probably think some people think they're cheesy or or they're like derivative or something. And like that's fine. Jam bland is one of the terms I've heard of associated. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree more, but you know, that's fine. Like I I don't, the thing about the torch and like community reaction in, in the negative sense is like, it's just interesting to me when people get pissed off that someone likes something, you know, or, or that someone's like, why is, why is everyone trying to like force me to listen to this band? And you're like, I mean, I don't like, I'm not forcing anyone to do anything. I'm posting on the internet about something which we do about whatever we want all the time. So for people like that, I do think there's an, element of like people feel like they missed out on the being ahead of the game or something or feel like a little left out about not being on board earlier or something there's something like emotionally troubling to people when when they're not part of the first wave of something or they don't feel like they have ownership over it you know i I feel like there's something to that (laughs) i'm laughing because i get it yeah i understand that i mean i do feel like that's part of it in some way, one of the comments
0: that I saw was that it was it was more negative towards Trey that he was giving these guys so much attention. Right. He played this yeah. night. And, and obviously when that was rumored and, you know, there's the famous picture of his you know kit being wheeled across the street before the show on that Saturday. And of course, that that lit everything up. I thought that was cool as shit. To see that on Twitter, that's cool as shit.
2: I thought it was awesome. Can
0: you imagine if you're in Goose and you're like, "Oh fuck, Trey and gonna come down and play with us today"? Like,
2: well, I'll tell you guys at the end of the conversation about the after show because the spoiler alert—like, everyone was super psyched. But I, I will say, just real quick, I'm not going to say anything else about this. But I've talked to Trey about Goose, and I've talked to Trey about a lot of music, and he likes songwriters. Like he likes bands who can write songs and artists who can write songs. He listens to Taylor Swift. He listens to pop music. Like he appreciates the song, you know? And that, which is maybe ironic to people given that he's like the icon of, you know, improvisation. But I think that's why he likes them because he sees them as artists, you know, not as just improvisational musicians, you know?
0: You know what? Trey making appearances with people is not something new. I mean, he's played, he's come out with Dave. He came out with string cheese. Like he's played with everybody in their fucking mother. The guy likes to play music. (laughs) And if there's somebody that's playing like down the street from his apartment in Manhattan, that is cool. You know, he can fit in there. Like, I laugh at some of the, you know, the negative response to that, you know, Trey's trying to force this on us or whatever, like Trey's doing what any of us would do if they were enjoying something and that's go and and be in it. And
1: (laughs) I'm logging off Twitter right now. I'm logging off Twitter.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, there is. Look, I mean, we've all seen it. RJ, I'm sure you've dealt with it ton more than you ever would want to is the you know this visceral negative reaction that you know some band is not good enough for my attention well yeah great don't go fucking see him
2: yeah it doesn't matter like i don't yeah i don't care about so I, I mean i learned this 25 30 years ago about fish right like it's like i'm not trying to convince people to like fish i've never tried to convince people to like fish it's a losing battle and if people get it they get it and if they don't that's fine there's like plenty of music out there you know but i do think i have you know close friends who are big fish fans who are like very anti-goose you know and not not a lot it sticks out especially given like a community that's like you know everyone should kind of do what they want and and enjoy the things they enjoy but also this band this particular band makes me angry
1: (laughs) That's the most hilarious shit I've ever heard. Of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that anger, like, I feel like that is, has been more pronounced with Goose than it has with other bands. I mean, everybody hates Twiddle, but like, there was a while where like, you know, Mahali and Twiddle, they were going to be there. And I think Twiddle is very, very talented, I interviewed Mahali. I wrote for a music blog a few years ago and I Mm -hmm. did a couple articles, but I interviewed him and went and saw them. Great show, you know, very talented musicians. They really vibe very well together, but people don't like the music. You know, fine. I like twiddle. I'll talk about twiddle. It seems like it's been a little bit more pronounced. And maybe that is because Trey went and played with them and you know is now doing this little mini tour that they're doing in November, which honestly, I can't wait. I think it's going to be awesome. And you know what? I hope that the haters didn't buy any tickets so that we can all get together and hang out with everybody that's happy to be there and seeing a show. It's
2: going to be amazing. It's going to be just just that that's a whole different conversation. It's going to be amazing. Well, I do have a go ahead. I I have some context.
1: I was just going to say, are you going to Redding? Yeah. All right. So great. So we'll all vibe together and then it's going to be like wonder twin powers. Well, Josh will have to be there.
2: (laughs) I'm going to Fairfax and Redding, both GA venues. So like, you know, it'll be. It'll be great. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're excited.
0: See, I'm going to Billy Strings the night before the Reading show, so I trying to get to the Fairfax show too would have been. Uh... Josh is also a fucking snob, but cool.
2: <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> I'm just joking around. <laughs> I do want to give some context about Goose, but I, I will say, like, I'm I've seen Billy Strings maybe five, six times. Like I've seen him at this festival called festi which was down in the mountains in virginia like outside of charlottesville back in like he played a late night set in a tent that string dusters put on that festival so i saw him a long time ago and i've seen him a bunch of times at festivals and elsewhere i still like i think he's incredibly talented but i think the hype about billy strings is like mind-blowing like to me and I know there's people, there are a lot of people who think he's, like, the second coming, and that's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, go on the internet and say, like, I, I can't understand why people like Billy Strings, because, like, I don't care. Like, I, I think that's – if something makes you happy, that's amazing. But I personally – that's how I feel. You like what you like.
1: You know what, RJ? It's funny you say that, because his story, like you said before – His story is pretty cool. He was just on CBS this morning. Like, I'm not trying to tout CBS this morning, but, you know, I'm old and I watch it on Sunday mornings with my coffee. You know, what do you want me to watch? (laughs) You know, like fantasy (laughs) football now.
2: No wonder your team's (laughs) UFC
1: fighting or whatever.
2: You know, I did. I did talk to a musician in the jam world recently who said that, like, the Billy string Billy strings is, is authentic. And Goose is less authentic. And I just think that's like, I I just totally disagree.
0: How do you, I don't, how do you judge that? I don't know how you judge that.
2: I think it's like the working class background versus like kids from Connecticut is the, is the perception. I mean, you know how hard it is to like create a band that breaks through no matter who you are. Like it's, it's.
1: Hey, John Lennon had working class hero. One of my favorite John Lennon tunes. And I, that speaks to that. Working class
2: hero speaks to exactly what you're saying about strange exactly i think there is some resonance with that with people who are which is kind of a bluegrass thing. sorry we're, we're getting way off track but <laughs> who cares <laughs> <True>. <laughs> it happens so i i think part of the, the the context that's important is like how they get to this point when june 20 to 22 when they're playing radio city so like in january of 2020 tom and i did a, a show at um the Bell House in Brooklyn. Tom and I interviewed Rick and Peter on stage. Then we talked to them for an hour and a half. And in between our conversation, they played acoustic songs. Tom played uh, Brian and Robert with them. They did Birds of a Feather and they did like five originals. And this was like us interviewing them, you know, in front of an audience. And right now, like we're, we hope to do it again next year. And if we do, it's going to be at a 500 to a thousand person Venue, they were, we sold about 150 tickets to this show. This is January, 2020. Wow. And this is after they had played Peach Fest in the summer of 2019. After I started seeing them and like, you know, people were discovering them. But in the fall of 2019, they're playing capacity, like venues that had a 250 to 500 capacity. They were opening for Pigeons playing ping pong. Really just like a small band. I mean, a 250 cap venue with Goose is it, right now is just, it's hard to believe that that was only two and a half years ago. And then two and a half years later, they're selling out a two-night run at Radio City, 6,000 people. I think there's some of this that is about the fact that they've so quickly and powerfully become so popular. you know. And I think that like, I don't know exactly why that rubs people the wrong way. I do think it's like a an ownership thing. But you guys know during the pandemic, Goose did this like, you know, everyone was experimenting with music during the pandemic and our musicians were trying to figure out what to do they had these like highly produced, great sounding shows from home that were acoustic. And then they did this bingo tour in summer 2020, which was like, they had bingo balls that were drawn from a cage. They had this set up. They did a bunch of shows. And if you're watching the show, you could download a bingo card with songs on them. But also like, there's one thing where they had to like, if the bingo ball came up, they had to like go outside and run around the house twice. (laughs) That's amazing. And if you got bingo, then you got like, merch i think like stuff like that that they did and they also did a bunch of drive-in shows as you guys mentioned and they're clearly writing a lot of music but they were like they kind of came out of the pandemic with more momentum than when they went in or like at least it didn't wane and i think that's pretty rare you know i feel like they like succeeded in the pandemic whereas like most musicians didn't really know what to do for a long time so you come out in like 2021 and they're, they're touring at much bigger venues and demand obviously for live music was so much bigger but they were huge, you know, within two years. And I think there's, it's, it's well-deserved in my opinion. I don't know. That's some of the context, like the the growth I think is, is pretty notable.
0: I remember thinking when I was at the 930 club and that place was packed to the rafters. And I'm sure you've been to the 930 club, yeah. RJ, but that place, it can be as tight as a venue as, you know, you can never be in. And it was mobbed. And I was like, there's no way they're gonna ever play this venue again like their next step is the anthem and then on to meriwether or you know some some of these other you know much larger venues yeah I think that that is it's that you know mercurial rise skinny did I use that word right Dude, I don't know don't ask me <laughs> it's that sudden rise where I didn't hear about goose until I don't know maybe somebody said something to me in 2019 maybe. Pummel horse might have said, "Oh, you should check out this band goose because he's usually tapped in." This is our buddy Greg. He told me about Aggie. He's definitely on board. You know, the goose train or bus or whatever, whatever they're mm-hmm. you're getting around on these days. I think it is that like they went from nobody ever heard of them to seemingly, and I think that. The concept of time has been lost a little bit with the pandemic that really fucked yeah. with people, yeah, and now all of a sudden, goose is they're selling out Radio City Music Hall, you know they're playing with trey, they're doing this tour, they're catching the eye. I wonder r j do you think they have enough music? I mean, they have some diverse set lists, but you do see a lot you know you see a lot of flow down in yeah. set lists uh, and stuff like that. Do you think they'll be able to keep up with the writing? Based on the demand that they have, because those guys seem like they're constant, like, you know, they're younger bands, so they're going to be touring a lot. But RJ, I can actually answer this question for you, but I'm going to let you go ahead. They do.
1: Anyway, go ahead, RJ.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think they're I think they're constantly writing. I think they're uh, I like the way that they integrate covers. Like, I think the covers are they've, they've always like, even though they're different now than than a few years ago, they They cover. Not just classic rock songs, I guess is the is the way to put it, right? I think they're like a little more diverse in their covers, but I think they're always writing I mean I, th- I think both Rick and Peter are always writing. I mean, I remember talking to them at Floyd Fest in twenty twenty one yeah last year, and I didn't know about dripfield or the album, like I knew they were working on stuff, but they're like, yeah, we're always writing, and then like these you know twelve songs or whatever that they've debuted in the past year, which are all like really. Good. I don't think that they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna like experiment with songs on stage. I think they like to like have a finished product before they play it. But um, yeah. I don't think they're. I think they can keep keep it going. Although they do. They seem to be going through different like waves of of bringing songs in and and not playing songs as much in different tours, which I think is interesting, and I have no idea why. But I assume like within the next year, we'll hear another ten or fifteen new songs. You know.
1: I think that's what I've always attracted me. To the Grateful Dead and Fish was this spontaneity. They have that. That's why I said I do think they can play whatever set list. Like, the night before I saw them at the Chrysalis, they played Shamalama and Ding Dong. Then they played Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield the next night. As a person that's like, oh, I have to listen to more music or, like, I got to get into something else. Like, ugh. And then I hear a song that I connected with when I was in my younger years. I said Animal House is something that I grew up with in high school just because the songs are so good. And then when they do that at the Chrysalis, like everybody should go back and listen to the way that they do that. It's really, really a knockout punch. And I think if they can play covers like that and their own stuff, they can switch it up enough that it doesn't matter, which... By the way, we're about to talk about. Can we talk about the show?
0: <laughs> Actually, the, yeah. The last thing before we get into the the specifics of this show is just this this idea of learning a new band, right? And it's daunting. <laughs> it really is. And Skinny hates it when I talk about this, but when I when we're about to talk about a show, I I listen to not just this show. I try and get a little bit more context. So I listened to the first night of Radio City, which I thought was a very interesting three sets. The second set was five songs and the third set was three songs. Mm -hmm. They did the acoustic at the beginning uh, for the first set. But learning a new band is – daunting is a good word because especially a band like this that has – 20 minute, 30 minute jams. And you want to find out like, what is their tweezer? What is their monster jam? Where do they get deep and exploratory? What are the band's quirks? And what is the vibe that the crowd feels? And you don't always get that when you're listening to a show, you know, that's been recorded, you know, you kind of have to be there standing there. So I'm really interested to hear about your thoughts on the vibe and the energy of the crowd, Before Trey came out, just knowing that, like, that was hanging in the air. The idea of learning new music is skinny. Like, I'm really surprised, honestly. I'm going to tell you this, and I haven't told you this, Skinny. This is the first time I've said this. I'm really fucking surprised that you're into this shit because usually you're like, I ain't doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is, it's time consuming to sit and listen to a couple of shows and to figure out what it is he like, or like, one thing that skinny is notorious for when he and I used to ride around together is he's a song skipper. So he would get, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes, we would be like in RJ, we would be in like the peak of a jam and he'd be like, I'm ready for the next song and skip. I'm like, we're on a fucking 16 hour ride to new Orleans and you're skipping this song. Like, don't do that. his, engagement with this was something that I was like, oh, that's really interesting because he is a little bit older. And so new stuff for him, he tends to shy away from at the outset, but he has definitely grabbed, you know, he is definitely like highway to the danger zone with his, with his goose love. Great balls of fire. (laughs) Well, thank you. All right, RJ, I'm going to shut this guy up
1: for a second. (laughs) I'm just joking around gonna read off the first set so goose from radio city music hall 625
0: uh that's two o's in goose boys
1: <laughs> radio city music hall 625 22 set one which is by the way acoustic and we're gonna talk about this i have i have a question right off the bat rj which i'm not even gonna interrupt you just read the set all right fuck off so set one atlas dogs Moonrise, which is a debut. Debut or debut? <laughs> Wake Up, an Arcade Fire cover, Atlantic City Bruce Springsteen cover, Flowdown, and then ending with Elmeg the Wise. This entire set reminds me of Reckoning or like Dead Ahead when the Grateful Dead had their acoustic versions, some of the greatest acoustic versions in my mind, I grew up on them, which automatically was like, I love this stuff already. Goose does that for me in this first set. We'll start with the Atlas Dogs, and there's a guy that screams right away to the first verse basically and I know that's what the vibe was Is they came out acoustic so everybody had to be buzzing.
2: I mean, yeah, so the Grateful Dead is my favorite band. So like, you know, the fact that they did this two nights, it's ballsy of them to do this, to do the, first, the one acoustic and two electric sets just like the Dead did in 1980 and Dead Set and Reckoning are two of my favorite albums. They're probably the only two like... Albums of the Dead that I listened to, you know. So I think it was hugely ballsy and, and really just amazing that they they tried to pull that off.
0: Yeah, with reference to Grateful Dead playing Radio City Music Hall in October of 1980, I did. I did have to find some stats. So Goose did Jackeroe on the first night. Acoustic and The Grateful Dead played Jack O'Roe first night acoustic. Now, they played it a few other nights, but in the first night that they did it, it was the third or fourth song of the first set. So I thought that there was a little symmetry there. Yeah. Also, Skinny, that goes back to our Al Franken thing, because um, the YouTube video that I watched of... See, this is where he gets annoyed at me, RJ, because I do all this other research. So I went and watched like some of these Radio City acoustic sets from The Grateful Dead in 1980, and in one of them al franken comes out to introduce the band he was doing some sort of a comedy skit and Brent came out and cut them off and then they started playing music or whatever so that's that's the full circle on the al franken reference that's amazing it's
2: amazing
1: with the vibe there at radio City when they come out acoustic I mean what's what's the feel
2: yeah I mean it was actually it was actually pretty chill like I, I think I mean everyone was excited but I think when there's an acoustic set—it's sort of like a, feels a little bit like a warm up, you know. Like everyone's kind of just getting comfortable, and a lot of people were sitting, you know, and like so it—it's sort of like you get into it. I, I to me the wake up the Arcade Fire cover—that's sort of when it started to really pick up the vocal harmonies in that between Rick and Peter. I've talked about that a couple times, but that was just such a great version of that. Really amazing. I I have to say, like I, I think I might have told you guys this be a text but you know i'm I'm a huge bruce springsteen fan i love bruce springsteen they started playing atlantic city and i just like i just for some reason it was just so overwhelming emotionally for me for some reason i have no idea why i just sort of lost it i was like oh my god part of it was just because i love him and i love that song and that was like a really emotional moment and i hope they play that song more because that was just incredible that was the highlight of the set for me
1: yeah and i i gotta agree with you so like after listening to it seven billion times that atlantic city is just the pop-off like the wake up is good too because they do the yeah god they i can't i'm not gonna try it but the oh 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 woes (laughs) they harmonize so well in that and then when they break back into verse and then the atlantic city does that too and just the way that they sound i know that there's a band version of atlantic city which that kind of reminded me of that, not necessarily the Springsteen version, which I listened to. And I was just like, yeah. I, I would have melted, too. I mean, I would have been like, uh, you know what? Good night, everyone. When I listen to that, I feel that feeling in the crowd. Because actually, during the Atlas Dogs and the Moonrise, like it's kind of chatty Cathy. There's a lot of people talking, meeting. You can hear it through the odd version. It's It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things with the covers, and this is one of the notes that I had about Goose, is they really do have a great mix of covers, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, you're talking about they play an Arcade Fire song, and then they play a Bruce song, they play a Beatles song a little bit later on in the set, they've played Grateful Dead, they played Grateful Dead the night before I saw Love Light, they played... Love is a Battlefield, Skinny said that. Creedence Clearwater,
2: Revival, they've played The Who.
0: Danger Zone. <laughs>
2: Blind Melons, Eve Wood. I mean, it's just it goes on and on. I mean,
0: it's really impressive. And, you know, not only that, but they're doing the songs justice. They're not quick run-throughs or making it kitschy. They're tackling those tunes in a very respectful way but also that you know kind of kind of typifies what goose's sound is at least as much as i've been able to figure out and that version of wake up when skinny and i were talking about this he's like i I, goose's version is better than arcade fire's version it is i'm sorry and i was (laughs) like you know what i went and i listened to arcade fire's version of it because it's not a song that i was really familiar with i was like yeah goose kills this and there is that emotion and i think RJ that goes back to the comment that you had earlier about the vocals yeah there really is that passion and that that sense of emotion that comes through the way they sing some of these tunes even if you can't distinguish what they're saying or what the meaning is there is that passion and emotion that comes through and that is a hook like that is an important thing especially for me as a music fan like how does it make you feel and Feeling that emotion, it feels very authentic and genuine when it's happening. And these guys definitely have that. That's definitely something that I enjoy and have captured from the admittedly limited base of knowledge that I have with Goose.
1: Can I just ask you one more question about this first set? Yeah. Do you listen to this on repeat? Because I have for like a month and a half and like I was done prepping for the show like a month ago. You know what I mean? I feel like you would.
2: Yeah, I have. I've listened to it a lot. I've listened to it more than I've listened to like an acoustic set from any other band in a long time. I, I will say that like the last two months or so I've been so filled with listening to Fish for Undermine that I have, I listen to new Goose shows like typically the day after they are released on Nugs. But I haven't done a lot of revisiting. But this is a set that I've gone back to a bunch of times. I mean, I think it's it's the Meg the Wise, which is a sort of like a fan favorite, you know, the really beautiful version to end the set is is really nice. It's a really good, solid set.
0: The Flowdown, I really like the Flowdown and I've seen the Flowdown a few times now. Actually, I've seen it at both of the shows that I have been to. There's something in this version that I don't necessarily think I caught in some of the others. And it's got like this almost like silent film vaudeville feel towards the end. Like I can imagine as I'm listening to it, Charlie Chaplin like running around and like (laughs) doing the the silent movie type of thing. To capture that, Skinny and I've talked about this before with Fish. Like, you, ha- how good of a musician do you have to be to, like, have something absolutely fall apart on purpose and then pick it back up again? Goose definitely has that ability to hook into something, build it, and then drop it, and then build it back up. That, I think, yeah. has been one of the things that I have really enjoyed and i personally i feel like in some of these jams and we can talk about it when we get into the second set but i feel like some of the jams they linger on a repetitive idea for maybe a couple of measures too long at least for my tastes but i also feel like you know they're still relatively new in the realm of music and and bands that have longevity Mm -hmm. you know those things might shift, adjust, or maybe it's just something I got to get over, you know, when it happens.
2: No, yeah. I mean, I think they're evolving. They're evolving for sure. I mean, Float Out reminds me of Possum, Like, Yes. Really, it's just sort of like a, you know, it's a fun thing that just is sort of like a repetitive groove that that builds to a peak and it's fine. It's, It's a fine, fine song. Fun, fun live. I mean, that's how I feel about Possum. Like, I don't really listen back to Possum a lot. It's really fun to are there.
1: Slowdown reminded me of Possum too.
2: And it's like, it's the
1: same kind of repeated measure, but like who really cares? Like it's that's the fun song. The I'll Make the Wise was the one that I was interested in. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, oh Christ, what's an acoustic Zeppelin tune? Somebody help me out here. Uh, I don't know. There's acoustic Zeppelin tunes that remind me of Elmic the Wise. I think bands try to repeat that tenor. And I think that's their way of doing that.
2: Hmm.
1: Oh God, it's something about Hobbits or Mordor or something. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really narrow it down. <laughs> so it's their whole catalog, but they play it acoustic. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'll end on that. We'll, we'll go over to sect two, but let me just repeat set one from Radio City 62522, Radio City Music Hall, New York, New York. Atlas Dogs opens up the set, which I, I'm actually, it's a new favorite tune, especially the guy that woo-hoo's in the middle of this one. Moonrise, <laughs> Wake Up, Arcade Fire Cover, Atlantic City, Bruce Springsteen, Flow Down, and then Meg the Wise. All right, J-Dub, what do you got for the second set?
0: All right, so after that acoustic set, we get into an electric set too. So I feel the need, the need for speed. They open up the set with Rockdale, uh, Seekers on the Ridge, part one and part two, Redbird into writing a novel with Father John Misty, and then they close the set with Creatures. So the Rockdale to open the set I thought was really cool. That They kind of kick into that jam at like five or six minutes, and it really just takes off. And that's one of the impressive things to me about Goose is how quickly they launch into a jam once they kind of leave the formal part of the song yeah. and you get a nice little funk jam from Peter on the keys which big fan of that when i watch them on like a youtube or if i'm at a show watching him transition from the piano to the guitar is fascinating to me it's just something kind of out of the norm so i really enjoy watching the stagecraft of that when you know he's jamming out on the yeah. keys and then minute later, he's, like, up wailing on the
2: guitar. You know, like, one of the things I love about music is just a good infectious sing-along. I mean, that's why, like, aside from The Dead and Fish and, and other kind of bands in this like, I listen to The Beatles all the time because these songs, like, the songs The Beatles write are perfect, simple, but, like, really difficult to do. I'm not, I'm not comparing Goose to The Beatles, but, like, Rockdale is such a good example of this like going down to the rockdale gonna lay it all down for you like my kids walk around the house singing this and that's how you know that like it it works you know like kids kids will like remember stuff that 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 works well it's gotta i I agree like the the peter and the clav and then like going back to the guitar and ben like the drummer just it's like it's high tempo the whole time the cool thing about this song, I think, is it always goes back and ends with the chorus, which is like a big hug, you know? It's like a, this is like almost 20 minutes. There's versions that are 20, 25, 30 minutes, but it always ends with this like return to the the chorus, which I think is fun. Like
1: We're going back to the rock down. Yeah, Yeah,
2: it's, it's, yeah, it's awesome. just so great to end yeah. with that. Like Fish will often like go back to, you know, the end of a composition, but to come back into a song with a chorus after 25 minutes is, I think pretty awesome. So it's, it's definitely one of my one of my favorite songs. Yeah,
1: and I like the middle of it. I was like, oh, what's this like? I, I, we have a tendency to do that as like fans or listeners, and we've been to a lot of concerts. And I was like, oh, like an ocelot, a little bit of a slowdown opener, or whatever. And then I was like, that's stupid because then they just like went off to like outer space with this thing, <laughs> and, and then they come back with this is really different, yeah. and I like it a lot. So there's that. They hooked me, I'm more the fish, you know, pardon the pun, than, than you know, <laughs> the fishermen here. Like, I'm, everything that they do, well, not everything, but most of what they've done so far, I, if I was there, you know, if I were there, sorry, contrary to the fat condition, if I were there, I would have been just pleased as punch and, and all over this. I, that would have probably... Uh, Just because of the experience and where I was, Radio City, and then seeing them. And even before Trey came out, I would have been like, wow. You know, these guys know what they're doing. I mean, if you play Radio City, don't you know what you're doing?
2: Yeah, on some level. On some level, you have to.
0: Right. When I was listening back to this, I I wanted to listen to the show and kind of forget about the third set. And knowing that Trey was coming out. (laughs) It's kind of hard. It is kind of hard, but it... (laughs) It can color how you hear it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine and listening to night one and then night two, the energy in the room is totally different and you can hear it. And I mean, there had to be, RJ, like just throughout the show, like this buzz of anticipation that this was going to happen now. You know, you can kind of hear that, but but listening back and like trying to forget the tray was coming out, and listening to just what Goose can do, I was really impressed with the first set. Obviously, the acoustic set, but then this set too. Uh, the Seekers on the Ridge, Part One and Two, I really like that song. It, it has a little bit of a My Morning Jacket type of feel to me, kind of vibe. I don't understand why it's in two parts, but I'm not a musician.
1: I actually do. I heard it today, but uh, we can talk about that off air.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like the flow of the set from Rockdale into Seekers on the Ridge, which has this. It's kind of hard to describe that emotion, but like I almost kind of feel like I'm, you know, walking through the woods on like the edge of a. Like they really do. Carry that through in the emotion again. That emotion that they play, yeah. and it's much different than like an Axela One and an Axela Two, where it's basically the same song. They just change the lyrics up, you know. And now everybody wants to hear Axela
2: One because they're playing Axela Two. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know the difference between that one. <laughs>
2: well, I I do think just to like on Seekers on the Ridge. I mean. I think this is like there's the vocal harmony which is which is again like a great thing with them but when people are like what makes goose different than other like jam bands quote unquote i mean to me like a song like this is a good example it's good lyrics like that are they can transport you you know and i think they're in great vocals but in a musical structure that's like distinctive but approachable they're not like they're not doing prog rock compositions like Fish or like Humphreys. The, stu- the song structures are earnest, planned out, and they're much. They sound mature, but they're not like overly serious. They're not like getting into like indie rock. I-, I can't, you know, smile because I'm like so serious. But they're they're like towing this line of like My Morning Jacket's a good example. I feel like they are they're they're more similar to me. I-, I tweeted um a- six months ago or something that. Goose is much more like Vampire Weekend than they're like Fish, and it like you know made people lose their minds. But I really do think like in terms of songwriting, they're taking this like much more rock-based approach to to writing music than you know they're not trying to write complicated compositions, but they are writing like these structured songs with really good lyrics. You know, I think that's a good example of that.
1: Yeah, and, and Red Bird to me, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. I guess growing up as a teenager in the '80s the beginning of that song makes me think of like Peter Gabriel when he left Genesis or even still Genesis. There's something about the composition of the lyrics. The lyrics have a stick-to-itiveness that I haven't heard. Maybe that's what's happening to me. <laughs> Something's happening to
2: me. <laughs> Something's <laughs> happening to you. And that's a Peter song. And, you know, it's like new-ish. And right. he he and Rick have totally different but complementary singing styles and writing styles, I think. And I like the where this is evolving. I do want to say just about the jam here. If you, you can hear especially in this jam the percussion jeff arevalo who you know he he's the fifth member and he played stand-up bass in the um acoustic show that we did that i told you guys about um in early 2020 and you know once the pandemic started he was playing with them all the time and was added as the percussionist and i think there were fans who were like uh we don't need more people in the band but a song like this or like Dripfield you can hear like how much depth he's adding to the music you know like this different layer that without like i couldn't imagine this song or Dripfield or a lot of this like, i could not imagine goose without him and he has like added this different dimension of sound that i think is much more rhythmic and kind of like primal you know in, in a lot of these jams i think it's a really cool addition that people were like what the hell they're gonna add like another dude like we liked it how it was but it turns out like it's gonna work out
0: he's comparable in the way he. Fills in the gaps to like Ciro with Tray Band. Obviously, Ciro uses like, you know, the walnuts shaker. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Right. Bangs on a, you know, trash can lid or whatever. But it's the same type of thing, right? You couldn't imagine Tray Band without Ciro because he fills those spaces. And I definitely like that part of this. And uh, Stummy Down's very own skinny used to play the Kungas back in the day so i also have you know a soft soft spot in my heart for uh the rhythmic rumblings of a good conga player (laughs) okay well i'm not as good as him but i do
1: agree with you rj there's something about the fills you know you fill those spaces and like they start really like he really starts to fill some spaces with redbird and i that's why i like the jam too and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you know. Well, we keep talking about this third set hanging out there, but I I'm not finished talking about this one either. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, the last thing I want to say about the Redbird is, I feel like this is, this jam is kind of a good prototypical goose jam, right? Because it really has that kind of peak to peak to peak jam feel. There's not a lot of lulls. Once they get into that like peak zone. It's almost like riding a wave where you just keep connecting the sections and you don't actually get to the shore break. And it feels like when they hook into this at, you know, I think it was around 12 minutes then it's just they ride from one peak to the next peak to the next peak and that is how a lot of these jams feel once they reach that plateau they they have an ability to stay there instead of just hitting the pinnacle and then dropping back down and that's one thing that i really enjoy about their jams here we see it in the creatures towards the end of the set as well but that feeling of They find that groove, they find that peak, and they hang on to it is, I mean, I feel like that's kind of where the magic happens a little bit, at least for me.
1: I'll agree with you saying this. They connect back to the lyrics of the song, which I think is what RJ was saying, like the lyrics are so good. And then, oh God, we're just going to keep talking about the third set. All right, I'm staying here, I'm staying home. Uh, <laughs> they go into that I'm writing a novel and then Father John Misty comes out and like that is so grimy and like slimy and dirty like that uh, jam in there I was like this is like an ass shaker in the middle of Goose being Goose and then all of a sudden they bring him out and then it just it goes in a totally different direction but the direction is still good it's so good so I feel like that is Josh is going to say the creatures I just don't know Pick one RJ which one are you picking?
2: Well, I I would just as a quick aside. I'll say that uh, I got at the end of the show which was that they ended at one and so we went down to like a friends and family gathering with the band and some other people and Father John Misty was like dancing around in this at this after party and everyone was like getting drinks and hanging out, but he was like live like something with you know and I was like wow he's like I was going to introduce myself and say that I was like there's no point in doing that right now and anyway the next the next day he played a festival and he like opened the festival with, with writing a novel which Goose plays you know not often but they've played it a bunch and he opened with that song and said like I was uh, in New York yesterday and I was doing acid all day and hung out and played with a, a show with Goose and Trey from Fish so then it like all made sense to me why Father John Misty was like <laughs> He was just going nuts backstage at 1 a, one a.m. The creatures, I really love creatures. I mean, I think that, I don't know, the, the Redbird Jam is, I really like the, like, peak building and the trilling and the, you know, like, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really cool... Build, but i do like the song creatures i like the use of the auto tune on the lyrics i think i like the fact that they're bringing like a different sound to to some of these songs
0: the creatures is good i i feel like creatures has uh, a lot of pig floyd type of influence like that's kind of the vibe that i get from that and apparently i saw the goat creatures which was the at the drive-in on may 4th 2021 It's a good one that's a really that's good what one i've been yeah. told it's a good one. But I really like the the whole flow of that tune and for that to cap off this set after, you know, a very lively and jam-filled rockdale which really the last 7 minutes of the rockdale are my favorite part of this first. Set. Yeah. It's it's really great because they just absolutely just blow the doors off and but then bringing it back around with the creatures at the end you're kind of seeing a little bit of the range that they have here, and yeah. the Seekers on the Ridge is a much different feel than you know the kind of up-and-poppy feel in the Rockdale, and the more kind of darker-toned creatures. But, love the set. Let me review the second set from Goose at Radio City on June 25th of 2022. They opened with Rockdale, Seekers on the Ridge, Part 1 and Part 2, Redbird, <laughs> Redbird into writing a novel with Father John Misty, and they closed the set with creatures, which leaves us with just one more. And Skinny, I got to believe Rick and Peter are out there, and they're like, oh, shit, it's Trey. And Trey's probably like, oh, shit, it's Rick and Peter.
2: It, what he says at the end of set two is we're going to play until one tonight. They played until midnight the night before, which is why those those three sets were a little shorter the night before. There were... Um, Friends of the band, fans who who chipped in basically to get them keep them playing for another hour. They like wired Radio City money to to keep them going for another hour. No
1: shit, really? Who's got that kind of quid?
2: There, you know, there are <laughs> yeah. people out there. <laughs> wow. Exactly. It helps to have friends, huh? You need another GoFundMe for. Osiris. I know, I know, we do. I, I wish I could have chipped in.
1: <laughs> Set three from six twenty-five twenty-two. Starts off with Silver Rising, and then everybody's favorite guitarist, Trey, comes out for Hunger Sight, Arcadia, Dripfield, Loose Ends, The Empress of Organos, and then finally the encore Tomorrow Never Knows, which is a Beatles cover, which if you didn't know that, I'm going to hit you over the head with the tack. skinny.
0: I had to laugh. Sorry, real quick. I just had to laugh that they did tomorrow. Never knows because how many fucking times did we see (laughs) Phil and friends play tomorrow? Never knows. It was like every other show they played that. too. I got to be honest with you.
1: I only listened to like the first five minutes of this one, but so (laughs) anyway, the third set, all I have to say is the vibe in the venue totally calms down. There's no more chompers on the version that I was listening to RJ and so again they open up with silver rising and then trey's still not out there so are you thinking anything is he going to come out or do you know he's going to come out towards the mid of the of the set or did you have knowledge of that or were you just like another fan that has knows nothing which i really love when i know nothing
2: yeah i mean i knew like we knew he was coming out you know we didn't know when i i kind of assumed it would be like an ending jam and encore sort of thing and i actually got stubbed down by goose's manager who's a friend of mine so I was up in the balcony, like toward the front of the balcony, which were like the friends and family seats that I got, which were great seats. But um, before the third set, he texted me and was like, "Come down, that we have seats on the floor." So then I was in, I was like twenty rows back for that set, which was pretty amazing. I thought it would be like half regular set and then a closer jam sort of thing, you know. "Silver Rising" to me, like that's like a top five Goose song for me. I think the the bridge with the vocal harmonies is just so great i love the like the story it's like you know werewolf story i don't know i I, that that song really hits me it's it's such a great song and then when once they kind of peter like does the trey come on out and it like the crowd goes crazy and from what so from what i understand trey rehearsed two songs he rehearsed the first two right hunger site and arcadia so which is pretty obvious like you can tell right definitely but then as you get through the set and you start listening to the later part of the set you realize and i was watching the whole time like he basically had no idea what was going on after those two songs and he just like we'll talk about it but um it's like your father (laughs) yeah i mean obviously he's like in a good position to just be on stage with people and he doesn't know the songs being played but i think the plan maybe was for him to play two songs and then for them to finish up the set maybe for him to do the encore with with father john misty but um I've loved fish for a long time as you guys have. And I I really, really, really like goose a lot. I mean, I love goose, you know? And so seeing that I don't care about the torch pass. Like, I don't think it signified anything to me. It just was awesome to see Trey playing with them. (laughs) Like, you know, I wasn't like, wow, we're in a different world now. Or like this, this is like a signal that Trey approves of them or whatever. Like, I, I just, I just thought it was awesome that he gave them the, respect of like playing with them on such a big stage and he was so respectful the whole time you know to to a fault you know he was very like focused on what he was doing he didn't want to fuck it up i think
0: i feel like musically he he filled his spots but he laid back a little bit and yeah. During Hunger Sight, when he plays the first notes, the crowd goes fucking ballistic,
1: right? The video of that is fucking amazing.
2: It's amazing.
0: It's video's amazing. great. He takes the first solo. It sounds awesome. But then for a lot of the rest of the... At least before they kind of get into the jam, he's kind of like playing rhythm guitar and just kind of hanging back a little bit, which, you know, if you've seen him play a lot, is a little bit... Strange to see, but it was definitely very clear that he was observing how they played on stage, kind of filling the gaps. And I mean, it was so cool when Peter came around when he was playing guitar and the three of them were standing there. And then Trey kind of let loose a little bit and it was the three of them going back and forth. And I'm not a musician. Play guitar for five minutes when I was a kid, it was too hard. So
2: yeah, there. yeah. So, like, yeah.
0: I, I don't know how any of that stuff works, but I do know that it's a language that people can communicate to each other in, and that's what they were doing up there. I feel like Trey can do that with anybody because he's a very good communicator in that realm, and so he can interpret and he can be intuitive. You know, I obviously it definitely felt like the Arcadia was a little bit more scripted, but when they got into the Drip Field.
2: I just want to say, just on the Hunger site, right when they get out of the song structure and they start getting into the improv, there are these, like, one of the coolest parts of this listening back is you can hear Rick and Trey, like, communicating via these, like, little licks that they're both doing, and I just think that's so cool. It's like they're trying to get on the same page, and I just I think that part is really awesome. And then toward the end of Hunger site, like, basically with each progressing moment, he kind of gets more comfortable and... Um, And then at the end of hunger site though he does start kind of shredding right before they they close out the song but i think he was really concentrating on getting it right and then like started to get more comfortable man the the hunger site i mean i think that it's just like a historical document you know what i mean like i don't i I think that's like their the later jams are much better i think in terms of improv but that was like it's just cool to hear it evolve and to hear Trey, like, communicating with a bunch of musicians, not just Fish. You know, it's like he, you can tell that they're all they're all listening to each other. And I think that the whole the whole band is responding. And it's and then the Arcadia, you know, hear, hearing Trey sing the first verse was just like really cool moment. Clearly, he's like reading off an iPad and like, you know, that's fine. This song that's really iconic for the band, you know, it's their, it's their most played song. It's probably their most famous song. And hearing Trey sing a verse is that's pretty cool.
1: When he sings that. I just think he hits all nails. I don't care what iPad he has. Like, he could have my daughter's iPad and read off of that thing. Like, he yeah. literally nails that. And then also the part where he's like, how Trey is that? Wood stills and Little Red Pills? Yeah, yeah. That's all Trey. I, I mean, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how do they know that that lyric fits his life or his vibe or like what he's been through? I just felt like that to me was this huge moment for him with them instead of a torch passing. I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> I still want to go back to the hunger site where it was like, can we all put down our weapons? <laughs> and then I'm like looking at Twitter and everybody's mad at each other. But anyway.
2: A song that they, you know, is on the new album and, and I would encourage people if you haven't listened to. The album Field." the album versions of all these songs are, are great. Yeah, I mean, you know, really good, I think it's a very good song. There's like, in the Arcadia Jam, there's this like really, again, like communication. You can hear Trey like listening. I think that's the thing about Trey is like, I think what, at fish shows, we assume that he's kind of leading, you know, but you can tell by the way he plays and especially like this or the the other sit-ins he's done when he plays with, with other bands, I mean. He's just a really good listener, musically. And I think they're, they're, they move into this bliss jam in Arcadia and it's just really like, kind of this really beautiful space. And that I think that's when I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I was sort of expecting him to come out and play a couple songs and maybe jam a little bit, but they're in this like improvisational space that is completely new and different because they're all playing together for the first time. and that's something that like I really appreciate. We I've done a bunch of Osiris shows where we bring musicians together who've never played together before and just seeing what comes out of people not playing together before and improvisation, that that sort of improv. It's just incredible. It was a really emotional like moment. I was like, This is this is a like unique situation we're in. So that to me, that's sort of one of the peaks of the whole show is that that jam in Arcadia.
1: And the lyric before that, we'll be sitting at your doorstep waiting for you to come on yeah. in. Like, dude, that line, which is the line after Trey's, every time I hear that, I just, I absolutely, sorry, everybody, I fucking absolutely die at that. I just think that the way that Rick sings that after Trey's verse is yeah. absolutely, I don't even, know, it's money, it's cat, whatever the kids are saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first time I heard Arcadia was from the Buffalo 2019 show. Yep. Is that yep. right, RJ? Yeah. And it, they opened with Atlas and then Arcadia, I think. That's a smoking hot version.
2: So that's kind of been my Yeah, they released that as a as a sort of as a live Album. Yes.
0: And so that was like the first Goose show that I had ever listened to. And I honestly I couldn't get past the first three songs because of that arcadia and hearing Trey come out and play that and the moment he steps up. And so I listened to the stream that they have on, you know, Goose Goose's website, but I also listened to the the audio ver- the audience version. Just the way the crowd reacted you know that's the energy that i think had probably filled the room all night and then kind of exploded in that moment and you know maybe even more so than like the first couple of licks that he played with hunger sight and him stepping up and seeing and singing that and the crowd reacting i mean it gives you goosebumps it, it's an emotional reaction, you know, and I don't I I think that's one of the things that I for me I love about music is it gives me that emotional reaction and I start to get some sweaty eyeballs and I you know I don't know why. I'm just like I'm I'm having a reaction and like holy shit this is amazing. This is beautiful this is something I never imagined or, or even thought yeah there was no thought that this would happen. You know that I would be seeing this type of collaboration and I feel like this set go and i listened to the hunger site through Dripfield, you know and then into empress and it's like wow i mean it's there is that hook there is that magic and i think trey adds to that but it's not
2: there because of him man it's so good i mean after arcadia you hear rick say like he's gonna stay can we keep him papa yeah they (laughs) keep saying that you know or maybe Peter says after one of them say after I think Rick says after he after Arcadia, and then so like after these two songs now they're in territory where like he doesn't really know what's happening. They start playing Drip Field, which is the title track of the new album I mentioned a couple times, and um, it gets really deep. It's got this like percussive driving rhythm. You know you can hear Jeff's kind of influence on it, and Trey is like hanging back during the song part. You don't really hear him at all, but the jam like gets deep. I think that's another like peak, you know, there's, he's like watching, following, and then, you know, they, they get deep and they trade these like really awesome solos, like pretty, pretty quickly. It's a really awesome, that's just a great, a great moment. We talk a lot about that in past seasons, like
1: how sometimes Trey will lay back and then, you know, these last like maybe anywhere from five to one minute, micro jams like then trey just like psh, blows up you know i agree with you he, he did that i felt from hunger Side to the end of it when he catches on like trey catches on what do you it's almost like what are you stupid
2: <laughs> yeah like you not know who this guy is? yeah he's not he's not, yeah it doesn't take him long i think it's like these songs are a little more like if you go to the empress of Organ, organos which is like it's like a more of a straightforward song and he's like able to just by that point he's just out front and kind of like jamming you know i think this he's kind of like as it goes along he gets he gets more comfortable you know
0: you know there was a point there probably like almost dead in the middle of it where all of a sudden the guitars were having a conversation with each other and they were talking to each other and with each other and it was so seamless and they were each filling the space that dripfield jam is it's fucking killer because of that vibe where there is this interplay there is this musical language that they have locked into and Trey obviously knows what he's doing and knows how to fill spaces but there definitely seemed to be a higher level. Like it wasn't just like a token sit-in. There was definitely something more happening on stage than just Trey getting up there and strumming a couple chords with them. And the end of that drip field had it. And Trey even hit the bullfrog a little bit in
2: there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I call it the
0: bullfrog, RJ. I'm probably the only one but I think some people the Jedi pedal, but like right around 18 minutes he hits it, and then he like hits it one more time like a second later, but that's it. With the 4.0 sound, i obsessed with the uh, bullfrog pedal. I agree with you, for one. Uh, besides
1: Trey, I hear a lot of this, and RJ you can agree with me or disagree with me, I don't really care. I've heard it through the whole show after the acoustic set. So I had to do a little bit of research, which Josh always laughs at. I feel like this eastern african middle eastern sound which is like then i started looking up the oud even the sitar like that wow they have a lot of that which i have never heard anybody else do that and if you're not hearing that and i'm crazy then i have a podcast
2: <laughs> and i mean you know i i that's what I hear. I mean, do
1: you hear any of that influence? Yeah,
2: it also, I, I mean, to me, it just reminds me of the Beatles, but... Oh, so when they went to, like, India? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Tomorrow Never Knows yeah. and those kinds of songs where they have this, it's like an effect to me. I don't know if it's the same thing you're talking about, but like an effect on the guitar that he, that Rick uses in a bunch yeah. of songs. That, to me, is like, that's the, yeah, it's like the Beatles. It's
1: the same goddamn conversation we were having about like what led zeppelin tunes i'm just like thinking of hobbits
2: and then like india (laughs) and i also want to say loose ends is like this they've only played it 10 times um it's like this fun little refrain and i think they they mostly play it in like these spots where they're having a good time they're having fun and it's you don't hear Trey really at all because I think it, it like goes it fast and you probably didn't know it was just like you know whatever <laughs> you know let them it, but the tying up the loose ends is also a good little metaphor like I think it's a cool I don't know I like the way that that the way that comes in here and then yeah the Empress is it's a fun closer and like I said earlier I mean Trey just kind of like is in at that point and then there's the encore
1: and by the way everybody I just fucked up this whole show because I was like ready to end it. We didn't even talk about
0: Empress or Tomorrow Never Knows.
2: Well, that's okay.
0: (laughs) Empress for me in this one has a little bit of an Only Brothers type of feel. I was definitely kind of getting a little bit of vibe from that. And then it also had like, I don't know if this will connect with anybody else, but a little bit of like a Mercury feel with the way the song kind of shifted in the middle of it. This was not a highlight for me. I, I definitely. I mean, it was good, but I like the. Uh, I like hunger. I would put Hunger Site Arcadian and Dripfield in a way. This. Apparently, though, everybody
1: wants RJ to rank. So tell me your top three songs, just right off the top. Don't don't think about it.
2: From set three or set three.
1: No, just every everything in
0: the, the show. whole show. Holy shit! We're not into rankings here on Stummy Down, too. By the way, I just want to preface this question.
2: I think Hunger Sight, because of that first trade solo. Atlantic City from set one, that's definitely, like, top three for me. And I, then I think Arcadia.
1: What are you afraid of? Come on, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing.
1: Dude, that was perfect.
2: I'm not afraid of anything. All right,
1: now moving on. Fearless. <laughs> moving on to the encore. All right, RJ, we got your top three rankings.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. The encore was wild, right? I mean, they you know, they played this song before this Beatles cover, um... This was a whole different with Father John Misty and Trey exchanging verses. I mean, that was, that was pretty wild.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, Father John Misty is from around my hood, so he's from Maryland. It's interesting. He had a growing up where he was very Catholic, conservative, or really actually like Christian conservative. Not I mean, I'm Catholic, and I don't practice too well but his parents were very conservative and broke away from that. It's interesting that you told that story because reading about him, I think that's where he is maybe going with his
2: career is that he, he's adverse to whatever that station is. What an amazing show. And I will say just, just at the end of the show, there was a, I mentioned there was a little hangout after, and you know, the, the guys from goose and their crew and, even the the management and you know everyone was just like I think it had been a really long day because once they once they figured out that they were doing it then they had to do sound check for a long time and then they had to like wait the three hours till they started and then you know I think it probably was a 12-15 hour day of stressful music and um, everyone was just so happy I mean you know the band the the crew everyone everyone was just so happy including all of us it was just a really really like just Amazing night, yeah.
1: It reminds me of when we were hanging out with you in the middle of those four shows in April. Yeah, everybody was so happy and like so excited for each night of those shows. And yeah, man, it, it sounds amazing. I wish I was at the show. It was really great, really great. Oh, no, you'll be a, you'll be at one of them. will be at one of them. You'll be at one of them. You'll be one of them. <laughs> well, can I read down the third set now, JW? That I fucked up the whole show. <laughs> All right, so. Set three from Radio City Music Hall, Silver Rising, Hunger Site with Trey, and then just rip off Trey for the rest of it. Arcadia, Drip Build, Loose Ends, The Empress of Organos, and then the encore of Tomorrow Never Knows.
0: J-Dub? You know, uh, I'll say this. We talked a little bit about learning a new band and what that's like, and it can't be daunting learning about Goose, getting into some of these tunes, listening to some of their shows, going and seeing them just a couple times that we have, has been refreshing. And I haven't done this with a band for a while. My wife gave me a lot of shit because I was listening to the show over and over and over. But I was also listening to different Goose shows so I could have You know, some sort of basis of knowledge to talk about. So I listened to the show that Skinny went to, and I listened to the ones that I had been to, and then I listened to a bunch of random shows from over the summer. And, you know, for a young band that's only been around for a few years, these guys got it. And I think that there is a lot of room for growth. I don't think everything that they do, you know, their their shows for me aren't quite top to bottom. This was a top to bottom show, but definitely sat through moments where I'm like eh, all right uh, you know I'm a little bored or like just checking in with myself like they they should move on or this isn't doing it for me as a young band they are supremely talented and you know what I can't wait to see them again and you know what if you don't fucking like them then that's cool and good for you and There's got to be something else that you can complain about aside from people liking this particular band and how they have been embraced. And, you know, and RJ, I mean, you've hung out with these guys and talked to them over the course of this rapid growth. How do they reflect on it? If you can, you know, share any insight, like how do they reflect on what they've become in, you know, kind of a short amount of time and how dedicated people have been to... You know they're sounded where they are
2: yeah i mean i think it's probably gonna just sound cliche but they're they're like so appreciative of the community i think the fact that they have built this like fan community you know where this fan community is built around them um i think is super meaningful to them and um they're all really nice chill guys like they're you know there's they are just they're great they're great people and they're they're making good music and i think they're taking themselves seriously but not too seriously like i think they have fun and they they have this thing before every show like it's called power up where like they get yeah, they all like put their hands in and do you know coach like leads them out on, out on the stage like they're like they're not trying to like get to the point where they're like stuck in a dressing room like before a show like i've been surprised at how much they'll be out just hanging out and we'll just, just talking you know before going on stage they're not like none of it's gone to their heads as far as i can tell and i think they'll continue to write amazing music and i think this guy's the limit i mean i, I think they're like the, the the pop and rock and indie rock sensibilities they have are just just like spot on so i think they're just at the very beginning i mean thinking about some of these songs i was looking at the stats earlier you know it's like arcadia is their most played song and they played it 100 in 40 times like that's how that's how early we are in this band's trajectory 120 times
0: what website you got over there you get those thoughts
2: <laughs> jesus christ here we go so elgoose.net, el which was developed by adam scheinberg who uh, helped develop fish.net and who's you know part of that that community there's um, a guy, Jive Goose, on Twitter, who, who live tweets every show. There's a Facebook group. I mean, there's like an El Goose Facebook group. There's, you know, there, there's Always Almost There, which is Ryan Storm's podcast. There's Great Beyond, which is done by Craig Knight and Bruce and Joey, who are all friends with the band. These, these, this community is sort of like, you know, it's coming to life in a much quicker way than the Fish One did, just because the technology and the you know platforms are there but there, there are all these amazing people who are co- contributing and like jive goose you know he's just a dude who live tweets every set i look at it the morning after all the shows and try to figure out like okay how long was that arcadia how long was that you know yeah it's cool he puts a little time notes in the print his shit <laughs> yeah yeah like and you know because i'm like that's how i'm trained conditioned to think about this stuff so you know and and the stuff that ryan storm is doing is great so i think that's part of it too there's this community that's really uh, blossomed out of this band and that's how you know that like it's real you know these people aren't on board for a a band that just started playing yesterday you know i mean they're the, the community is dedicated
0: well the music's not bad either and
2: honestly at the end of the day
0: like look the who you know will only really get you so far at some point meet the expectations, and I feel like their music is good, it's intricate, it's different, and it has that hook that will pull you in. There's a lot of room for them to grow into it as well.
1: RJ, to pick this show after everybody wants to shit on everything (laughs) is very courageous of you, and I'm so glad because I, I thought this show was amazing, so... Please, uh, my DMs are open. If you think I'm absolutely insane, I will argue with you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But that's, it's not (laughs) Stump Me Down's DMs. Josh runs that account.
0: (laughs) Don't tag me. Well, RJ, hey man, we are so grateful for you coming on today, man. This has been so much fun. We can't, Thank you enough for spending the time with us tonight talking about Goose and Osiris and your role in the scene. It's all very cool. We're very appreciative to have you and all the things you've done to help to foster the community, the podcast community, the music community. You're the linchpin. You've brought a lot of people together, even indirectly, and it's very cool we're super grateful for you. You're an inspiration for guys like me and Skinny who are, you know, just a couple of hacks hanging out in our basement. I'm not in my basement. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? We just love it. We love talking about music and uh, I don't have many other friends aside from Christian. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's what I tell them all the time, come on you guys are on season four you guys are doing great
0: we have you now as a friend too and uh man we're so grateful for your time today i can't wait to can't wait to see it shows and uh you know hopefully you'll come back and join us for
2: uh you know maybe another discussion down the road yeah it's been a lot of fun anytime anytime see you guys in a couple of weeks
1: hang on a second here rj because we have to like run through our ad spots just like you gotta do so yes
2: shit hold on to your hats go ahead
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, as most of you know, if you're a fan of Stub Me Down, we are a part of the lot by Primal Soup, a virtual lot of vendors for all types of goods that you can find on our scene. A couple of shops I want to let you know about today. One of them is Snug Pups. So for you dog owners out there. This has got to be for you. Oh, snug pups. Yeah, snug pups. I know Bruno's got one of these. Bruno's got a donut one. But snug pups Pups makes uh, custom handmade dog coats. Gail and Brian are longtime music fans and dog lovers. And their mission is to make easy, affordable, and fun dog vests and coats for your pet to keep them warm and comfortable. Obviously. Got a display. Your dogs probably might not listen to music, but let everybody know <laughs> that you listen to music. They have donut design coats. Uh, they are also officially licensed by the Grateful Dead. So they have Steelys and Dancing Bears. They also make non music related styles. So if you're uh, interested in firefighters or police, they have that too. Everything is custom made. They are also an organization or a business, excuse me, that donates a portion of their sales to various dog focused charities and philanthropic Fuck that's going to be a, a mouthful. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, I know, especially after a few drinks. Snug Pups is also an organization that donates a portion of their sales to various dog-focused, charitable, and philanthropic projects. So you can find a list of those on their store, but check them out. So You can find them on the lot by Primal Soup or at CouchTour.com. The other one, you have probably walked by. You enjoy my vegan. They are always on the lot, but they are amazing cooks. They have great food food. Muffin is the chef behind it all. Her menu often includes vegan Philly cheesesteaks, Thai fish cakes, uh, and sometimes even vegan and gluten-free baklava. That sounds pretty good. In addition to slinging food, Muffin also sells everything under the sun in her store. So swimwear, kimonos, shower curtains if you need a new pillowcase, show poster, beach towel, hats, stickers, teas, whatever you need, you can find at You Enjoy My Vegan. But Check out the lot by Great friends of ours are over there and they have some awesome merch that, hey, you know what? When you're not on the lot, you know, we still like to look fresh. So check out the lot by
1: I got to ask Craig over there at the Lot by Promo Soup not to put that many big words in their mentions.
0: (laughs) Well, there was two in a row, charitable and philanthropic. So (laughs) Uh,
1: Baklava was pretty tough, too, for you. But anyway. I got that on the first (laughs) shot. Did you? Anyway, hey, listen, we want to talk about one more person. Well, it's not a person. It's a shop. But he's a person of ours. His name is Scott Mitchell, and he runs Fan Designs. Scott's got a bunch of stuff coming up and I just was talking to him. So basically he designed the cover for surrender to the flow and El goose times. They're going to do a joint edition for the tab goose shows. He says it's going to be killer. I can't talk about it, but we don't release this episode until later. So thanks a lot, Scott. And then he has really great stuff on his website, hats, shirts, everything that you want. Not just grateful Dead or fish. He has goose pigeons playing ping pong whatever you want.
0: Scott Mitchell at Fan Designs is also going to hopefully be doing a run of Stub Me Down shirts. So stay tuned for that. Hey, we want to say once again, thank you so much to RJB from Osiris Media for joining us here on episode one of season four of Stub Me Down. RJ, thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, thank you guys. This has been fun. Thank you guys for having me. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, man, definitely
0: hey skinny great job as always man love you good work talking about goose if you want to check us out we are on the socials you can check us out on twitter at stub underscore me underscore down and we are also on instagram at the same address stub underscore me underscore down we will see you at some shows coming up this fall and winter until then we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path
2: later everybody thank you guys
0: thanks rj Great balls of fire.